Hello, it's Mario Costabile, and welcome back to Reason for Hope. I am super excited today to share with you the hope that is all around us. I know it's difficult to see, but it is there. And you might ask, why, Mario? Because our loving God said we must have hope in Him, to trust in Him. And I'm excited about this because I believe in Him. Wow, what a show today. Dr. David Heideck and I are going to discuss family, become what you are, and how our families are anointed. And we've got an all-star guest today. I am very excited to have Jason Everett with us. So if you're just being introduced to Array of Hope at this time, we are a nonprofit lay apostolate serving the church. We release daily reflections, lots of videos on the faith, the saints, as well as music. We've got hundreds of videos on YouTube. As a matter of fact, all the music that you're hearing on this podcast today is original music produced by Array of Hope. And you can check us out on Spotify, Apple Music, and all the other music outlets. And also, go to our social media handles, Array of Hope on Facebook, Array of Hope Show on Twitter and Instagram. As you can see, or as you can hear, our theme here at Array of Hope is hope. Desiring the kingdom of heaven and eternal life as our happiness, placing our trust in Christ's promises, and relying not on our own strength, but on the help of the grace of the Holy Spirit. I mean, that's what hope is all about. Hey, that sounded pretty good. Yeah, but I can't take credit for that. It's in the Catechism of the Catholic Church. So anyway, hang tight, and here we go. Here we go. think about the importance of family it's everything everything yeah yeah me as well um i think it's something that really helps people like do good in life i guess the importance of family yes very important how so it's just like god family is love and you know god has blessed us with family right on ditto 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 okay tell me you know what family means to you yeah next to to god family is the most important thing how do you think God views family? How, I mean, he created family. Maybe you can elaborate about that. Well, I think family is an example of him and his relationship with us, with Jesus. We're adopted into his family, and I think family is very important to him. That's awesome. God bless you guys. Have a great day. Well, since you guys are going to be starting a family, let me ask you a question. So the importance of family for the two of you. We want to build one someday, and, you know, it's hope to bring them up right, that's all. No matter what religion you are, you just want to bring them up right. I agree. I think in today's day, everyone's focused on, like, material things. My parents always raised me that family is the most important. Family is the most important thing. For me, uh, family is about support. We need to support each other to give each other more strength. We need to believe in each other, too. Tell me about the importance of family for you. Well, we have three kids, so family means everything. How long have you guys been married? Uh, what? Two, two years, years and a half years. Two and Wonderful. God bless you guys. Great. So tell me about the importance of family for you. It's huge. I mean, that's that's my number one thing. Family's everything. I mean, they they back you. It's what I believe in. And we want to have a strong family for our, for our child to grow up. What about, are, are you guys related? Is this your father or your brothers? <laughs> Beautiful. So tell me about the importance of family. 
we just try to do everything together and we learn the respect and the importance for the, the family. We think that the faith teach us to be a good family, you know, so that's most important for us. Oh, for me, family is very important, yeah. Um, it's just being together, cook, you know, as much as you can and having someone to lean on, I believe that's what family is for. Yeah, that's great. I mean, me, you know, I'm a father of five and uh, just the magic of a couple coming together and then creating a family is a beautiful grace. It's beautiful to see. You're in store for a lot of great stuff. Well, you have a big family too? Yeah, I'm one of seven. Oh my, that's awesome. That's great. Ray of Hope's Man in the So today's topic is The Family, Become What You Are. This idea comes from St. John Paul II's apostolic exhortation, The Role of the Christian Family in the Modern World. Now, Dave, become what you are. I mean, this is a phrase that might strike our listeners as a bit odd, (laughs) like I don't get it myself. Um, What does St. John Paul mean by this? Okay, so let's look at creation. When God creates human beings in his image and likeness, what does God do there? Uh, It's very, very interesting. If you go to the scriptures, you see that uh, God creates human beings male and female, right? And then after he creates them male and female, he blesses them with the blessing of fruitfulness. So if human beings are made in the image and likeness of God, not only does this refer to the individual human being being an image bearer, but it also refers to the union of the man and the woman blessed with fruitfulness. This makes an awful lot of sense when you remember that God is not simply one person in Christian belief, but is Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So the the Trinity is a communion of persons, a total giving of the Father to the Son and the Son to the Father, which is the Spirit. The third sprung from them both, you can say. So then think about God creating human beings, man and woman, and blessing them with fruitfulness. The man gives himself to the woman. The woman gives herself to the man. This is expressed in and through the body. And then you have a third sprung from them both, this blessing Mm. of fruitfulness. So the, the family itself as a communion of persons is in the image of the divine communion of persons. Uh, In a sense, the family is patterned on the first family, see? And so now the question becomes, how does the family live out its vocation to be the image of God in the world? Um, How is it that they manifest the the life-giving love that is right in the heart of the Blessed Trinity in their life and in the culture? So, Dave, it's really interesting that God, you know, patterned the family after the Trinity. What do you think his purpose for that was? Well, if you think about it, it's hard to love unless there is an other to love. When uh, God creates Adam in the beginning, he's alone. And you can almost tell, John Paul II draws this out in The Theology of the Body, that there's this sense of longing in Adam to give himself to an other. 
God even recognizes this. He says it's not good for the man to be alone. When God's creating everything, it's, you know, after he created it, this was good. And God said it was good. And God said it was good. The first thing that is not good is that man is alone. Now, you could say, well, the man wasn't totally alone. He had God. But man longed for another to love similar to himself. And God recognized this. And so what does God do? Now, usually people get this wrong. Immediately people jump in and say, God created a woman. Well, no, he didn't. He made a cow. Mm. God created the animals to find that other for Adam. Now, God was really trying to teach Adam something. In, in a way, this like created a deeper longing in Adam to give himself uh, because none of the animals proved to be a suitable partner. Why? Because they're not a person made in God's image like he is. Their bodies don't mean what his body means. And so then when God puts Adam asleep and he creates Eve, Adam wakes up. You can almost hear the joy, like jump off the page. At last, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. So like there's this, there's this sense that finally one to whom I can give myself in and through my body. So, so I would say, you know, part of the logic of God creating the family in his image is that we're created to give ourselves to an other and to receive the gift of that other. But also, too, it's two people giving themselves to a third. You know, the thing, if I'm like in a relationship with somebody, that could become like just about us. We get lost in each other. And in fact, you know, early lovers are kind of always experiencing this. It's like the rest of the world disappears, right? But there's a danger there because love becomes stuck, insular. It becomes just like in between us. That love really becomes love fully when our love together turns outward and is given to a third. There was this 12th century theologian by the name of Richard of St. Victor. He wrote a lot about the Blessed Trinity, and he wrote this, For charity to be excellent as well as perfect, it must desire that the love it experiences be a love shared with another. Thus, charity is not only mutual love between two, it is fully shared love among three. And so when God creates Adam and Eve, he blesses them with fruitfulness. So their love becomes a third to whom they can both lay down their life and give themselves for that other, that child. So there's a, there's a built-in logic to the family that, that is the original school of love. Uh, and the place where this idea of the gift and giving of oneself is first and foremost played out. Mm. So what is the the premise of, you know, the family become what you are? In other words, become? Yeah, to, to become the communion of persons in love that you were created to be. Gotcha. To, to like yeah, give that to, for, for, for husbands and wives to, to give themselves fully to one another and, and together to their children. And, and it's interesting in the exhortation, uh, St. John Paul II identifies four general tasks of the family. And they're forming a community of persons, serving life, participating in the development of society, and sharing in the life and mission of the church. That's what families are tasked to do. And the first one is to form that communion of persons, to, to live in relationships of mutual self-giving. 
and to uh, build bonds of communion through me giving myself for the good of my wife and she giving herself for my good and us together giving ourselves for our children's good and them giving themselves for ours and them learning how to give themselves for the good of one another. Like this is all part of what the family is supposed to be from the beginning. So this is what I think St. John Paul II is driving at when he says, family, become what you are. You know, it, it almost, in a way, makes me sad because um, it seems like we're failing as a church to articulate the purpose of family so we can become stronger, the domestic church can become stronger, right? I mean, this message really needs to be shared and explained, probably from the pulpit, because it is so important to our church. And uh, I think the very message itself will perpetuate a sense of of commonality, purpose, drive, uh, end goal for the family, right? And to me, this is very profound. This had a, a very big impact on Shannon and my early days um, right after our conversion, which was pretty early on in our uh, life together. And, uh, and we read this and we just knew that this is what our life had to be about. This is what the vision for family that we had to work as best we can and pray as hard as we could for grace to live out. Um, there's particularly the one serving life, that second general task. St. John Paul II calls that the fundamental task of the family is to serve life. And for spouses, this becomes very, very practical. Um, the uh, I'll share with you uh, a homily I once heard where uh, the priest said this, respect for life begins with openness to life. Because by being open to life, you're affirming the life of a child that might be conceived in your marital embrace. So it's saying yes to receiving the gift that God wants to give that you're going to have to give yourself and sacrifice yourself for that it's through the human couple that God is enlarging and enriching his own family day by day. That the, the task of the married couple is to cooperate with God with stout hearts who through them wants to make his own family grow. Mm. And, and that would include not just the procreation of children, however foundational that is, but the education of children, providing an authentic human and Christian formation for them. You know, I think it's important to mention something here because there are so many people out there who have struggled with infertility that that they can often feel, I think, maybe excluded from a conversation like this. And, and in that same exhortation, Familiaris Consortio, the role of the Christian family in the modern world, St. John Paul II said this, It must not be forgotten, however, that even when procreation is not possible— Conjugal life does not, for this reason, lose its value. Physical sterility, in fact, can be for spouses the occasion for other important services to the life of the human person. For example, adoption, various forms of educational work, and assistance to other families and to poor or handicapped children. So St. John Paul II is saying there that couples that uh, struggle with infertility are also called to serve life. Uh, by no means are they not called to be fruitful. They're, they're definitely called to be fruitful, even when that cross presents itself in their life. And it is a great cross for people. So it should, that shouldn't be diminished at all. 
their fruitfulness is just going to take on a different form. Right on. It's a great witness, Dave. I really love what you had said about the family. And the family is so important. Uh, St. John Paul once said, you know, as the family goes, so goes the nation. And I think that our nation is in a crisis of family. You know, I think we need to um, reflect on the importance of family, uh, the importance of uh, spiritual leaders, men within the family. Uh, and uh, this information, I think, is vital. And uh, I'm glad we covered it today. Me too. All right. My Okay, so my next surprise caller is Chris Bell, the co-founder of Good Counsel Homes, which is a pregnancy crisis center. Uh, He co-founded this with Father Benedict Rochelle. Gosh, I think it's over 25 years ago, and he's a good friend. We've done some stuff with uh, Ray of Hope has been engaged with the Good Counsel Homes over a couple of different things. So I'm calling Chris and see if uh, we can get him on the phone. He's a tough guy to get. Hello, Mario. Chris, I'm on your yes. call. I'm on your caller ID. <laughs> you are a very important person, Mario. Uh, I don't know about that. Maybe in my own mind, but uh, thank you. So, listen, uh, I I got this crazy idea here for a ray of hope. We're starting this podcast, and part of the wow. podcast, I'm making these random phone calls to my friends and people that I know. So, uh, you're part of this podcast. Are you okay with me recording what we what we talk about? Oh, yeah. yeah, of course. That's fine. I have a little background noise. I'm in an event right now. Are <laughs> you at a discotheque right now? Are you dancing uh, yeah, on the dance know. floor? Yeah, yeah, I'm hanging out. It's Friday night, you know? Uh, I know. I you're saying. you're like such a good dancer. I always remember <laughs> you seeing the... <laughs> your favorite is the Macarena, right? There you go. <laughs> so uh, this, is my, this is my question. So tell me um, the importance of family uh, for you. And I know that would be a good question for you. Oh, you're very kind. So family means you help one another and you love one another. And love, as we know from God, who is a family, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, gives us everything that love means. And love is ultimately a sacrifice. And Jesus Christ came down to show us that love means to give one's whole self to another. Mm. And that's the meaning of family. Uh, Whether you love your spouse or your son or daughter at that moment or not, you're still going to give everything that is needed. God didn't ask us what we needed. He knew what we needed and Mm -hmm. he gave it to us. So let me ask you, um, what can we do as a culture uh, in strengthening the family today? Because we know that the family is under attack, right? Um, What can we do to create awareness of the importance of family, how it's divine origin, it's rooted in the way God structured the family? How can we strengthen that? I I think it starts off with uh, being the best example you can, uh, even though we are all fallen human beings, but to try to you know, love your spouse more, love your children more, and love your neighbors more as a family as much as you can. And where you can reach out to others whose family is broken, to the orphan, to the widow, to those who are in the midst of a divorce, not to uh, take sides, obviously, but to try to strengthen that person and that couple and those children, because all around us are hurting human beings. 
And so much of that is because of family. And you know the work I do with homeless mothers and babies. And what I see, uh, and I saw from the beginning of working with boys and girls who were runaways or abandoned, is that they didn't know who their mother or father was. And by that, I don't mean they made it, they didn't know their names, although in many cases that is the truth. But they don't know them as a person who loves them and values them and cherishes them for who they are, which is what God does for us. And although I can't make up for the loss of a mother or a father in somebody's life, I can try to reflect the love of God and share that. Mm. And I share that in showing that person in front of me how they are valuable and they are made in the image and likeness of God. Yeah, that's beautiful, Chris. Thank you so much. I mean, you're right. You know, people are inspired by example and people are affected if you show them unconditional love. I think that that's an amazing example to see, especially uh, a mother and a father loving one another. What a beautiful example that is to the children, right? Sure, sure. And and one other thing is uh, uh, someone asked me a couple of years ago about what are we going to do with all the attacks on married life, on family life? And uh, his suggestion was, we need to celebrate more. We need to have like big family picnics. We need to have big family parties. And I think that's a good example because we're not going to conquer the evils around us by uh, fighting them in, in a sense, but by showing what love does do. And love brings about joy and unity and helping one another. So, you know, on that note, I I love the idea of um, celebrating it. So uh, if it's okay by you, I'd like to invite everyone that's listening to this podcast to your home, bring their families, we'll have some pizza and nonstop disco. What do you think about that? (laughs) That'd be great. (laughs) All right, brother. I love you. It's it's wonderful being your friend. And uh, I love the work that you're doing. It's so valuable. Good counsel homes. We, we, We can use each other's prayers. Amen. 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 God All bless right. you, Mary. Thanks for calling. Right. Take right. care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So today our guest is Jason Everett, and I'm super excited about having him today as our guest. He has spoken on the virtue of chastity on six continents to more than a million people, including World Youth Days in Australia, Spain, Poland, and Panama. He and his wife, Kristalina, have authored more than 15 books, including How to Find Your Soulmate Without Losing Your Soul. And they also wrote the curriculum called You, Life, Love, and Theology of the Body. He is a frequent guest on radio and television programs throughout the country, some of which have been Fox News, MSNBC, the BBC, and EWTN. He is the co-founder and president of The Chastity Project. Let's welcome Jason Everett. So, Jason, thank you so much for uh, joining us on this uh, Reason for Hope podcast. It's a, it's an honor to be speaking with you. I've heard so many of your talks. You're so inspirational. And uh, what really got you going? I mean, what started you in ministry? Uh, I would say it would be two things. When I was in college, I led a number of high school retreats. And on those retreats, the kids would really open up to me about all the struggles they're going through. And so much of the hurt and heartbreak and confusion had to do with uh, chastity or the lack thereof in their lives or in their parents' lives. And I realized they just weren't getting any formation on this. They might have been told everything they weren't supposed to do, but they really had no idea what to do when Mm -hmm. it comes to dating relationships. Then at the same time, I was doing three years of uh, sidewalk counseling 
um, just praying and counseling in front of an abortion clinic and, you know, offering the women different alternatives and financial assistance, adoption, help or whatever. And for three years of doing that, you just felt late. I just felt like, you know, why am I meeting this woman? who's having an abortion in 45 minutes. You know, how come I couldn't have met her when she was 15? Because maybe if she learned about chastity then, she never would have dated this guy to begin with and wouldn't be in this difficult situation today. So I figured I got to go upstream to the plug the dam, the root of the problem, which I began to see as unchastity. And I started to read John Paul II's writings, Love and Responsibility, and started to see that as the antidote to so much hurt. And when I gave it to the kids and explained to them, it seemed like the light bulb was going on. Uh, I, I like what you said about uh, your example of being in front of the abortion clinic rather than trying to uh, – very important to talk someone out of an abortion, but even going beyond – going further in time essentially to getting to the cause of the problem, which is you know sex and, and, and abstinence and explaining purpose for sex. And that's, that's sort of what was a light bulb for you, right? It's sort of uh, let's get to the cause of the problem. Yeah, yeah. No, I realized like if, if you can just put this piece – of a person's life in the right spot, I mean, life becomes so much simpler and less complicated and less heartbreak and drama and confusion. But when this piece is not in the right spot, man, I mean, the amount of not only hurt for you, but literally generational pain that can be caused, you know, by a few poor decisions. Mm. And if we can just get this piece in the right spot, man, you know, the culture would be doing a heck of a lot better. So I guess in short, tell me what is the actual mission statement of, of the Chastity Project? Uh, well, you know, our Lord tells in the gospel, blessed are those that are pure in heart, they're going to see God. But that, that's not just seeing God in heaven, that's seeing him here on earth. And when we're not pure in heart, the opposite tends to be true, that it's very difficult to see the things of God. And so, you know, we exist to proclaim the good news of the virtue of chastity. This is not a litany of prohibitions and shaming and guilt, fear tactics and all that stuff. You know, this is God's plan for human love that, that frees us to love frees us to know for being love. And so we really, you know, want to emphasize this is just part of the gospel of trusting God with your body, not just mm. with your heart or your soul. Mm-hmm. Why do you think it's so important today for young people or even, you know, married couples to understand what the purpose of sex is and what it's intended for? Well, I mean, if Pope Francis said that marriage preparation begins at birth. It's not something you do when you get six months before your wedding to start marriage prep. No, we've got to learn how to authentically love each other, God's plan for human sexuality. Because if I don't have self-control before I get married, you know, I'm not going to be truly intimate with a spouse. I'll end up just using that spouse as an outlet for what I think of as my sexual needs. And, you know, a wife can tell the difference. Uh, and, and so the virtue exists that, so that we can be free to love in God's image and likeness. But if we don't get far along the path prior to marriage, you know, it can bring a lot of sorrow and suffering to a spouse within marriage. And so it's, it's not about, you know, absorbing all this shame and remorse and sexual repression and all that unhealthy attitude. Um, it's really about realizing the goodness of God's plan for human love and living that out no matter what our state in life is, married, religious, or single. Mm. Now, you're a family man. You have uh, eight kids. And, and our theme today is actually uh, family become what you are. Uh, what do you think that role of the Christian family is? Well, I mean, if you look at the history of salvation, I mean, the instrument by which God wanted to bring redemption into humanity was the Holy Family. Mm. You know, and God doesn't yeah. change his ways. And so God wants to continue 
to, to redeem humanity by means of the most powerful weapon, which is the Holy Family, and not just Jesus, Joseph, and Mary, but we're called to be as holy families. And obviously it's easier said than done. I mean, family life is messy. It's difficult. It's, it's painful. It's a lot more sorrowful sometimes and difficult than we may have ever anticipated. But, you know, God wants us to be what we are for the sake of humanity, for dads and moms to love each other as they should and, and kids. And, and if we can do that, you know, it's one of the most powerful ways to promote the gospel. Mm-hmm. I mean, to me, I mean, it seems that the family's, you know, kind of under attack in our culture. I mean, what are your thoughts of the current status or, or crisis that the families are faced today? Oh, yeah. I mean, you look at if you ever want to look up online, uh, Sister Lucia's letter to Cardinal Kafara, mm-hmm. where she said, you know, at the end of the time, yeah, like the decisive battle between our Lord and the kingdom of Satan will be over marriage and the family. And so don't be surprised when those who fight for the the goodness of the marriage and the family are going to be attacked and oppressed in every single way. But she said, don't be afraid, you know, because our lady has already crushed his head. And it's just this powerful statement. And Cardinal Kafara said that's being lived out right now. And so this raging battle over, you know, not only marriage, what is marriage, but what is the family? What does it mean to be male and female? What does it mean to be human? And so in many ways, John Paul II um, had a preemptive strike on all of this through the theology of the body, that he knew this is coming down the pipeline. And so he gave us this beautiful anthropology of what it means to be male and female. So that way, when we get to our culture, where it's at right now, where you get on Facebook and there's 58 different genders you can select from, it gives us a, a grounding, so to speak. Um, George Weigel spoke about um, the theology body being, in a sense, a ballast um, that will keep the ship of the church afloat as it rides through these tumultuous waves. And when the bottom of the ship is weighed down, you put some water in the hull of the ship, and that keeps it balanced when the storm comes. Well, right now, that, that storm's hitting big time. Yeah. So I'm a father as well as uh, I've got five kids and I raised four teenagers in the process of raising another. You know, it seems that uh, our culture uh, is bombarding our children in every component through music, through films, even through the classrooms. What advice can you give our listeners as a parent? What can we do to really combat what the culture is telling them is okay and is normal? What do we do as parents, as Catholic parents? Well, one thing you got to realize when you got teachable moments, like let's say just hypothetically that you're watching a, you know, NFL championship football game and a halftime show just happens to come on that might not be very morally upright. Uh, The solution isn't to sit there as a family and watch it for 15 minutes and talk about how bad that was. The solution is like turn it off and walk out of the room and then be able to use those teachable moments. And just as a real brass tacks, practical thing parents can do, there's a, a video series that came out from Covenant Eyes. And it's, it's great because you can get it by sending one text message out and it's free and it's seven days of videos that they'll send you. And each day, the video is only like three or four minutes long. And it'll say, okay, today we're going to take a look at your kid's iPad. You know, let's look at the YouTube app. Now, today we're going to look at Snapchat, Instagram. Why don't you go into notifications, click settings, go to general, slide privacy, over to this, change this content. And by the end of the week, you will have locked down your family's internet safety. And to get it, all you got to do is text the word safe, just S-A-F-E, um, and the number that you text it to is 66866. And then they'll ask for your email, you give it to them, and you're not going to get a year's worth of spam. You just get seven days worth of emails, three minutes long video each day, three to four minutes, 
And by the end of the week, you'll have locked it down. But it's tough because like you might it's, it's like you're living in a real bad neighborhood and you think your family's safe because you just shut the door. Well, no, there's the back door. Close that. OK, mm-hmm. we got the windows. OK, we close that. Hey, they can be coming down the chimney. We got to seal that off. And so there's so many different portals of entry that this garbage is flooding our families with. We've got to be able to check them all and seal it. And so that texting the word safe to 66866, um, we've done that. And it's just been a, a helpful way to become computer literate. So uh, what about you had said something about shutting the TV off and then you you sort of alluded to like let, let's talk about it. Sometimes parents uh, are ashamed or have a difficulty talking about these cultural issues with their kids for some reason. Um, yeah. Maybe you could address that and tell parents that, you know, it's important to talk to your kids about it. Don't be ashamed about the subject matter. Uh, you you want to elaborate on that point? Yeah, I mean the, the world – is not embarrassed to talk to your kids about sexuality. And so why should we be? I mean, if if you don't speak up, I mean, the world is going to fill the void of that silence with a very contrary message. And I I think a lot of parents don't speak because like their parents never talked about it. It was just hush, hush. You know, no, if you don't talk about it, it's not going to happen. Well, that doesn't work. Like we've got to start early and often talking about these things because otherwise your kid's going to see porn. It's not a question of if it's a question of when. Mm -hmm. And so do they know when they see this through a pop-up ad or some commercial on some innocent looking app, what to do with that? Okay. I turn it off and then I talk to mom and dad and I don't get in trouble because I saw that. If anything, mom and dad are going to say they're proud of me for talking to them about this. We need to give them strategies for when this is going to hit. And they say the average age for kids, nine to 11 years old. Wow. Where do you see the hope uh, in our church, in the unit of the family for our future? Where do you see that? Where is it? Where does it lie? Yeah, well, I mean, there is a lot of bad news, and it's it's easy to camp out on that and think everything's going to heck in a handbasket. But um, surveys, they've been studying, the Centers for Disease Control has been studying sexual activity among high school students in the last 30 years or so. And since 1991, the rates of sexual activity, believe it or not, have been constantly going down. Uh, the majority of American high school students are virgins. Uh, the majority who are not virgins wish they had waited longer. And so there's good news. And granted, you know, maybe more abstinence is being replaced by students doing dumb things with their phones and other things. So it's not like we're a bunch of saints here with with the young people. But I think there's a lot of hope in them that that they want authentic human love. And John Paul's given us the roadmap for that in his theology of the body. Um, The key is for the church to teach it and ultimately for the church to live it. And so there needs to be a real renewal, um, but the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out in abundance where it's needed and where sin abounds, grace all the more. It's never too late. It, you know, it doesn't matter what these kids have been through, what's happened to them or what they've done. You know, every morning God's mercies are now. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Well, listen, Jason, we'll pray for you here at Array of Hope. I want to thank you so much for spending some time with us and, and sharing your work, which is so valuable for the church and so valuable uh, to instill strength Uh, and hope for the future and also for our families. Uh, Thank you so much for being with us, Jason. Well, thank you for having me on. And if anyone wants to learn more about the ministry, just go to chastity.com. And I'd ask them all to please pray for all the young people that we speak to. Amen. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview. I want to take a moment here and share something with you. I know that we're all experiencing crazy times. There's lots of uncertainty, lots of confusion, and maybe we're starting to lose our patience with people or situations. So what does it mean to have a lack of patience? 
When we have an expectation or something that is in conflict with your expectation, that's what triggers your lack of patience or your struggle for patience. And sometimes it's something that just brings us to the point where we can't deal with this frustration. It's the dysfunctional aspect of our inability to handle the situation. The virtue of patience is to be able to identify this conflict and to surrender it to God, to give it to Him. And the act of surrendering will invoke a peace, which will then invoke a compassion, a tenderness towards the person or the situation that you're lacking in patience with. If we do this often, it will invoke a change within us. So as we change, when our inner structure is better healed or conformed to the image of Christ, then when we are confronted with an annoying situation, the less that situation will provoke impatience in you because you've already changed. So when we become this new person coming into the situation, even though the situation hasn't changed, we've changed and the way we handle it. So we experience it differently. Now, it doesn't mean that these situations themselves aren't difficult, frustrating, and challenging. We all have our inner struggles and issues. But the question is, from a spiritual perspective, what is God showing me? What is He teaching me? How is He transforming me? Where is the deeper liberation? The deeper living in Christ for me? I mean, we really got to ask those questions. So we talked about a lot of stuff today, and if you have any questions on any of the teachings of the Catholic Church, concerns about our church, or your faith, or anything that we discussed during this podcast, we want you to email us at podcast at arrayofhope.net, and Dr. David Heideck will respond on an upcoming podcast to try to answer your question. This podcast is only made possible with donors and supporters of Array of Hope. You can become part of the Array of Hope family by going to our donation page on our website at arrayofhope.net. Please join us at our next podcast with a new theme, new guests, new surprise calls, and new discussions with David Heideck and myself. Our theme next week will be The Body Reveals Man. And what does that mean? I don't know. We'll have to discover that together. You'll have to check it out. And we have an amazing, an amazing guest, Dr. Peter Kraft. You cannot miss this podcast. And also, please subscribe to this podcast and give us a favorable rating. It really helps us grow our reach and marketability. So thanks for joining us today. And there's always a reason for hope. This is Mario Costabile. Until next time, peace. Cause hope can